Um, does anybody remember what we're talking about? Sex. That's right, sex. I said it three times now, sex. This is um, week two of our sex ed series. Um, how many of you, don't, don't show me your hands, just think about this. Are, you're, right now, you're still kind of reeling. You're still kind of wrapping your brain around the fact that we can say sex in church. Like, I grew up in the South, and so there's certain words in the South that you say quietly if you say them at all. And this is one of them, right? So in my house, this is what we heard a lot. Hey, in this house, we don't talk about at all, right? Like, wait, what, what'd you say? What'd you say? It gets really quiet um, when you talk about sex. Um, but it's okay. It's okay to say it here. Um, I think one reason why we get squirmy is because we know, we know the reality of what we're going to talk about today. Um, and so today, last week we talked about the, the purpose of sex, um, and we said the purpose of sex is, remember, it's intimacy in marriage, right? The purpose of sex is intimacy in marriage. Um, this week, I, I really need, I need you to lean in, okay? Can we just give me that, just like give me the next 30 minutes of your life, really focus, really p- press in with me. Um, here's why, because... Um, Last week, you know, purpose of sex is intimacy, and we can all kind of get on board with that, can't we? I mean, we're like, yeah, that sounds good. I want, I mean, don't we all want intimacy, even the guys? Yes. So we want to be known. We want to know all that stuff. So we, we're on board with that. And then, um, and then the last week, just looking ahead the last Sunday in October, we're going we're to talk about um, the purification of sex, which is, you know, like basically all the bad stuff we're feeling this month while we talk about it. We think about, I mentioned this last week, almost all of our regrets in life are directly the result of a bad decision in the area of sexuality, okay? Um, so all that stuff we feel, the regret, I wish I'd done things differently, all that in the last week we'll be kind of wrapping that up and just talking about how God can take even, and not, even our mistakes. He can purify those. So those are really positive messages, right? I think. I mean, intimacy and, like, He can make us new. <laughs> but today and next week, like, these are the... Okay, strap on, like lean in. These are the harder ones, okay, because um, we're, we're just talking about, about some, some terms maybe that we don't normally say a lot. We're talking about some things that, again, might, might make us feel uh, a, little bit, a little bit weird. Um, like I told you last week, these might be the weeks where your, um, your butt is eating the chair. Um, but that's okay, right? That's okay. I'm, I'm, gonna tell you, I'm okay with you guys being squirmy and all that stuff. I'm, I'm totally okay with it. Um, our, our culture, I don't know if you know this or not, is totally saturated with sex. Totally. Okay? Um, it's, it's everywhere. You can't, now, I'm around Albemarle, you're not going to see this as much, but you go to Charlotte, go to Raleigh, go to Greece, go to any big city, you can't drive a stretch of a mile on the highway and not see some billboard, some advertisement. You know, you can't watch TV. I mean, it's there, right? It's, it's everywhere. Our, our society totally saturated with sex. Um, what we talked about last week is, is this, that sex is like, it's like fire in a fireplace, right? And the fireplace would be you know, like marriage. I mean, that's the way God intended it, right? Because you, you, can't, you can't have intimacy if you don't have security. I'm, I'm trying not to be crude, but just hang with me. When we were prepping for this sermon series, I was talking about intimacy and sex and, you know, all that kind of stuff. I'm a guy, right? I mean, you know, I, I'm just talking to the guys for a second. I mean, guys, if, if the mood hits you, you're pretty secure anywhere, right? I mean, like, you could be on the front lines of a battlefield and your wife's there and you're like, hey, baby, 
let's go. She's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can we talk first? Should we light some candles first? Like, can we have a meal first? I mean, like, we feel very safe and secure when the female's kind of like, what are you doing, right? I mean, we, we, so it's different guys and girls. Um, I get that, but all of us need to feel this security. And so we talked about this last week. This, the way that we're, our bodies are made. God gets this. He makes, I love the brilliance of God. He goes, okay, so I'm going to create you, male and female. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you together. Two are going to become one flesh. We talked about that, and we talked last week about these two chemicals in our bodies, right? Um, we talked about, um, I called it oxytocin, but I love that we have smarter people in our church than me, so it's oxytocin is what I've learned because um, one of my community groups called me out. God bless you. I hate you. Okay, so oxy. Oxytocin, I think it's a sin to correct your pastor, but whatever, we'll go with it, right? So oxytocin and vasopressin. So, so women, you have this oxytocin in your body, and men have vasopressin. What we learned last week is, I'm just kidding, you can call me out anytime you want. It's totally okay with me. Um, so what we learned last week is that the way our bodies are made is that when we have close physical contact, whether it's sexual, whatever, like when we have close physical con- contact, our bodies, the way God created us, was that we would, these chemicals would start to flow, right? And so it bonds us. It's like super glue. It bonds us together. Remember last week I told you that in females, all it takes is a 20-second hug, a 20-second embrace for oxytocin to flow and bond you with whoever you're embracing. I'm thinking about making gathering t-shirts that say, the gathering, home of the 19-second hug. I think that would be so much fun. People would be like, I don't get it. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. Um, we're just, we're being on the safe side, right? Not 20 seconds, no, no, 19 or, or lower, right? We don't want to, we don't want to have a chemical, any, okay, whatever. So move on. <laughs> so, so think about this. If, the, if you can't have intimacy without security, from God's perspective, this is from God's perspective, not the way that we've jacked it up, because I totally agree we've jacked up what I'm getting ready to say. But from God's perspective, if you cannot have intimacy without security, and the way our bodies are created, sex develops intimacy. From God's perspective, would you not take sex and put it in the absolute most secure place possible? Yes. I mean, you do this with your money, I hope. My guess is not many of you are saving your money under your mattress. Like, well, if I had money, I might, right? But let's just assume you had money and you were going to open a savings account. You're probably not putting it under your mattress. You're taking it to the bank. Now, we can argue all day long about which is more secure in our culture, but let's just go with assuming the bank is, right? We, we do that with our money. You do that with important documents. I mean, I don't know how many of you have a safety deposit box. I don't know how many of you have a safe in your home. But you take important things and you put them in secure places. And so God took sex and put it into the most secure place possible. Now, we can argue legitimately about in today's society, is marriage the most secure place? I would say maybe not because it seems like they don't last. But from God's perspective, his design was one man, one woman for life and that they would be bonded to one another through this chemical release in our bodies. And then as we'll see today, not just a physical release, but also a spiritual connection. So he took sex and said, let's put it in the most secure place possible, which is marriage. And so the question we want to ask today is this. What happens when, when sex, which is supposed to be in a secure place, spills out into insecure places? 
We, we joked about last week making fires, right? Um, like fires are good for warming us. They're good for s'mores. They're good for roasting marshmallows. But they're only good if they're in the right place, right? So we said sex outside of marriage is kind of like roasting s'mores on your fire as it, on the fires that burns your house down, right? It's like it's, the s'mores are going to taste good. It's going to warm you and all, but at what cost? There's a place. There's a place. So when it spills out of that place, what does that look like? And so today we want to talk about the problem of sex. The problem, if the purpose of sex is intimacy, then what is, what is the problem of sex when it kind of spills out? And, I, and I'm going to say this, just, I told you last week, some words that I'll say throughout the month that'll make you squirm. Here's a couple of them. If intimacy and security go hand in hand, what happens when sexuality spills out of those secure places into other very insecure places like this? Here's just a couple examples, okay? And you can come up with your own examples, but here's the ones that I thought of. One night stands, living together, friends with benefits, hookups. These are just, these are just terms. These are experiences in our society today. And sex is spilled out of the secure place of marriage. One, one man, one woman, intimate for life, bonding, lots of 45, 50 second hugs into insecure places like what I just mentioned. Okay, let me just give you one, one example. This is not a religious person talking, Okay. These are men and women that we call sociologists. It means that they study society. They look at, um, they look at movements and, and you know, trends in society, and they make discussions and, and make judgment calls, and they do studies. They get paid by the government to do all kinds of stuff. So some of these guys got together, and they've studied, like, what is the effect? And don't let this scare you if this applies to you, okay? Hang on with me, okay? It, just relax. Take a deep breath. You're, not, you're in a safe place. And I know increasing in our culture, the, you know, what we're talking about, it applies to a lot of people in our culture. I get that, and they're in, you're in church, and we're so glad you're here. But they've studied what, what is the effect long-term of living together before marriage. And you know what they found? Couples that live together before marriage are three to four times more likely to divorce after they get married. It's crazy, isn't it? Because you would think it would be the other way around. Like, well, let's live together so we can get to know each other, make sure we're compatible. So if we decide to get married, it's because we found out that we are compatible. But that's actually not the way it works. No, not because the Bible says so, but because people that study society and trends, they look at that and go, wow, like, look at this. This is crazy. Three to four times more likely to divorce. Because when sex spills out of the secure place, because, look, I don't care how much he or she says they love you. When you're not, when there's no commitment, it's not secure. Intimacy belongs with security. So today we're going to talk about just kind of the problem of sex when it spills out of, in, un, unsecure, when it spills out of secure places into insecure places. So um, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That's where we're going to start. Um, I'm going to give it to you right up front so you, just so you know. The purpose of sex is intimacy, and we'll put it up here. That means the problem of sex is idolatry. Now there's a word we don't say a lot, I don't think. I mean, outside of saying American Idol, right? I get that. Um, but we don't say the word idolatry much um, so let's just, can we just talk through that for a second? So you don't hear that from a religious pastor. Like I told you, I was not going to soapbox. I'm not going to be red faced. I'm not going to point at my finger at you. I'm just going to share with you scripture. Okay. So I don't want you to hear idolatry and go, oh, oh, I see red faced, pa- you know, pa- um, pa- pastors coming out. He's going to start preaching at us and getting mad. No, idolatry is, is simply this, anything in the place of God, Amen. right? So anything can be an idol. Anything can be an idol. The Panthers can be an idol. Running can be an idol. And I'm just using examples from my life. You can come up with your own, okay? Um, shopping can be an idol. I don't shop, but you know what I'm saying. Um, 
you know, money is, you know people, man, money is their idol. Anything that's put in place of God can become an idol, okay? So when we talk about idolatry, we could just say the problem of sin is idolatry, couldn't we? I mean, that would cover everything, but our series is about sex. And so what I want to show you today is that the problem of sex tends to become idolatry. Um, Just so you know why idols are bad. Exodus chapter 20, you don't have to turn there. You've heard of the Ten Commandments. Have you heard of that, Ten Commandments? Um, the first two commandments, right? The very first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before your God. And the second one says, you should make no idol and give it the worship that should go to God. So idolatry is very connected to worship. It's, it's what we're giving our lives to. And you need to know this about yourself and about the person you're sitting next to. Go ahead and look at them. This is true about them. Don't tell them. It's a secret between me and you. Everybody worships something. We're created to worship. Everybody worships something. Some people worship money. Some people worship their job. Church people. Some people worship worship. We all worship something. And whatever we're worshiping is what's sitting on the throne and if it's not Jesus, it's an idol. Amen. Okay? It's just important that you understand that. It's important that you understand that. So um, if the purpose of sex is intimacy and marriage, then the problem of sex is idolatry. Um, all sin is progressive. I don't know if you noticed that or not. But, but sexual sin is really progressive. Have you noticed this? Can you remember the first time that you held somebody's hand? I was on my first date. And um, I won't name her because I don't want to ruin her reputation. But I was on first date, and my mom had to drive us. I wasn't old enough to drive, so she drove us. And we went to a movie. It was, the movie was Carbon Copy. Don't know if you remember that or not. We're going way back. Look, this is back before we had electricity probably. But um, Carbon Copy. We're sitting in a movie theater. I don't remember much about the movie. Let's just say the movie was, was two hours long. The first one hour and 45 minutes, I'm scheming how I can get my hand to touch hers. Right? I mean, I'm in my head like, okay, how do like, I? We hadn't gotten to the yawn and around move right we hadn't gotten there yet we're just trying to think how can I and so um it's it's probably hard for y'all to see this but like you know if we're sitting next to each other her hand is on her leg and my hand is on my leg and it's just like I'm, I'm reaching you know everything I can do to try to get my just to hold her hand right it was so hard like that was like the longest two inches it might have been two miles I mean it's just like I just can't and it, it I remember, we didn't actually hold hands, but what did happen, oh, it was fantastic, was somehow we touched back to back the hands, and listen, I, I don't know, I don't know how, how it happened, but when, when that happened, it was like, oh, dear God, what just, what just happened, and how can I make it happen again, right? It was like electricity. It was just like, what was that? Are you sweet Moses? Let's do it again, right? It was fantastic. But before long, I don't know, I don't know how it works. I don't know. It's crazy. Before long, it just, that didn't do it. Do you remember that? It's like, we're like, why are we, what, we're idiots. Why are we doing this, right? What, what are we? And people were behind us like, what are you trying to do? It's a Tetris thing. What? So then, so then you have to, you know, and first you start off like that, and then you really fall in love, and you're like that, and then you're like, you know, it's like weird, like thumb wrestling. It's crazy. It's crazy. 
And then you work up to the kiss, don't you? And, and, and that first kiss is always, it's horrible. It's horrible. I mean, we build it up so much, but they're, they're terrible. I mean, like, if you could video somebody's first kiss, you would just put it on YouTube as the worst kiss ever, right? I mean, like, you would use it as a training video of how not to kiss people. This is crazy. So the first kiss, it's always like, oh, and, but isn't it amazing the first kiss? That, the same lightning comes back. Isn't that nuts? It's like this again, but it's the kiss, and you're like, what? Wait, oh, sweet Moses, let's go again. And then before long, like, that doesn't do it. So you got to, like, get tongues involved or something. It's weird. It's like, yeah, I'll scratch the back of your throat. You scratch the back of my throat, right? You know, we'll do weird stuff. And then it's like, that doesn't do it. And some of you are like, never did it anyway. I don't know. It's so weird. You just blew the whole sermon. But then you got arms and you got to embrace. And then pretty, pretty soon, like, the 10-second hug's not doing it. So you go the 19, and you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't care what Paul said. We got to hug 20. So you go 20, right? And then, and then it's like, see how it's progressive? That's, just, that's the nature of sexual sin. It's kind of like kudzu. Like, it takes over. Um, at Romans chapter 6, let me just read this to you real quick. Romans chapter 6, verse 12. And you just stay in 1 Corinthians. We're coming right back to it. But Paul says this, Romans chapter 6, verse 12. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Um, basically, if we let sin reign in us, then we eventually will become a slave to sin. <clears throat> okay, so here's, here's how I like to think of it. Like this. <clears throat> if sin reigns in us, eventually sin will reign us in. That's what it does. It's progressive. We just can't get enough. And what, what you need, need to know about your sexuality is this. God designed it to be progressive. He designed you to want more. The reason why it's caused such a problem is because we want more outside of the most secure place to want more. But man, look, inside of marriage, like in marriage, oh, come on. Like, how many times do you want to get together every week, right? It's like, hey, let's go. In marriage, you're supposed to want more. Outside of marriage, it causes a problem because there's no security. And so it kind of becomes this, um, it's all that you can think about, right? It's, it's like, it's, it's so forefront in your mind. And I know we got lots of different people, lots of different stages of your life. So, you know, sex, sex at, at you know, middle school or thinking about sex is different than somebody maybe like in their 65, 60, 70 years old thinking about sex. But here's what you got to know. If it begins to consume our minds, if it's all that we can think about, then it becomes an idol. So a middle schooler is like, you know, when I had, when that happened, it was like, I don't know what that is, but I want more of it, right? Oh, I want more of that. You know, it just start, it just, you want it. Then you become like high school, start experimenting a little bit, and it's just addiction. You're just like, I want more of that. And then, then you're married. You're like, oh, God, this is fantastic. Like, we're legal now. This is great. We love this. And then you get older and older, whatever. Even when you get to be older, if, you don't even, if you're not even having sex as much, but are you thinking, is it consuming you? Like, I wish I was 20 again. See, it just takes over. It just takes over. And so this morning, I want us to talk about, it's like, like that, what happens when, when it becomes, it, it's like it consumes us. It's all that we can think about. Um, I've got a, a picture. Can we throw that up there? I love this. This is fantastic. Just take that in. I'm going to read to you what, what with it. Um, a girl drew this for her school. Um, <laughs> oh no, it's, it's so much better than what you're thinking. Here we go. Um, 
just as soon as my phone lets me read it to you. All right, here we go. So the mother, um, the mother who is being drawn about there, she, she sent this the next day to the teacher. Oh, come on, open up. What? All right, here we go. Dear Mrs. James, I wish to clarify that I am not now nor have ever been an exotic dancer. I work at Home Depot, and I told my daughter how hectic it was last week before the blizzard hit. I told her that we sold out every single shovel we had, and then I found one more in the back room, and that several people were fighting over who would get it. Her picture does not show me dancing around a pole. It is supposed to depict me selling the last snow shovel we had at Home Depot. From now on, I will remember to check her homework more. <laughs> the point here is this. <laughs> the point here is we should just go home. That's fantastic. Um, the point is this. You know, this is how idols work. You see them everywhere. You see them everywhere. And so when sex becomes our idol... When, when it's all that we, when we remove it from this secure position, place of, of, of marriage, we take it into an unsecure place, then what happens is like, we just want the physical all the time. We just want sex all the time. It's progressive. This isn't enough. I'm going to go a little bit further. I, I want to, how, how close can I get to the line without going over? We just do all we can to get that physical thing taken care of. And then what happens, it becomes like this, it just consumes us. If you're married, brand new, newlywed married, you're supposed to be thinking about sex all the time. That's what sets you at ease. You're not guilty of idolatry. It's a good thing. When when I first got married, went to a couple shower. You remember you remember the couple showers where the woman gets all the gift and the guy's embarrassed. She's like, "This is terrible. When can I get out?" We went to that, and and uh, good friends of ours they gave us this huge jar with a lot of beans, a, a huge jar bag of beans, and we were like, "Thanks." But then the note said this: it "said Look." I hope y'all are okay with this. I'm saying it anyway, but whether you are or not. But it says, listen, for the first year of your marriage, every time you make love, throw a bean into the jar. And I was like, couple showers are awesome. <laughs> love couple showers. And then the rest of the note said, and then after the first year, every time you make love, take a bean out. I'm still liking this, right? I mean, it's like making love. Sweet. And then what it said was, you'll never empty the jar. Which either says that you make love a lot that first year or you just stop. I don't know. I went with the first one, right? It's like, baby, let's fill that jar, right? But the point here is, you know, depending on where you are, it's easy to hear me say, well, if you're thinking about it all the time, then you're guilty of idolatry. Not necessarily. We'll see that in just a second. But as, as, as new, like different stages of life, it's okay, right? It's okay. It's a good thing. It's like putting your hands in hot sink water. Like, oh, that's hot. That's all you can think about. But eventually, you kind of... Get used to it, and it bounces out a little bit. So here's the deal. Knowing the progressive nature of sexuality, we know this. If there's any area of our life that needs guardrails, this is probably it. Okay? Um, guardrails, you know what those are? They're on the road, right, in the mountains and stuff, around curves. Um, let's make sure you understand how guardrails work. Guardrails are not there to, they don't, they don't, they're not on the edge of the cliff, they're not there to stop an accident necessarily. They're there to warn you that if you don't change direction, eventually you're going to have an accident. Okay? So um, I don't know if you ever run into a guardrail or not, but I bet you've run into those bumps on the side of the road that make it sound like somebody has gas. 
right? You know those? You're like, oh, my, my kids are like, dad, <laughs> sorry, it's Mexican. Um, <laughs> I was compelled. I was compelled. So, but what are those, they don't stop the accent. What do those, they, what do they do? They warn you. They say, look, dude, if you keep going the direction you're going, you're going off the road. You're going into the ditch. You're going over the cliff. You're going to end up wheels up, you know, car upside down, wheels spinning and smoke, right? So a guardrail, it might even do a little bit of damage to your car, but that's better than going over the cliff. That's how guardrails work. So in this area of our lives, so we're talking about idolatry. There's something spiritual that goes on in sexuality. It's not just physical. We talked about that last week. There's something spiritual that happens as well. There's a connection physically and there's a connection emotionally. There's a connection spiritually. And it's such a big deal that God said it needs to be in one place for life between a man and a woman. And if it's not, then you need to have some guardrails in your life to remind you that you're, you're running up against a cliff of idolatry in the area of sexuality. And so there's not a better place to go than 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to be in chapter 6 to start with. Here's why 1 Corinthians is such a good book. Because Corinth, this is the, the city that the church was in. How many of you, you, you hear people say this, like America is just, it's never been worse. The world's just getting worse and worse. It's never been this bad. Like if God doesn't judge us, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. You ever heard this stuff, right? Okay, so here's the deal. You need to understand this. It might be bad now. We don't hold a candle to Corinth. Corinth was way worse than our society today. This was, the mo- this was an incredibly sex-saturated culture. Um, there was the goddess, the goddess Aphrodite. Um, they would worship her. So there were religious prostitutes all through the city. It was, um, it was um, a, a, tra- a trade town, so um, like a port city. So there were always people coming in on boats. Um, there were always sailors. There were always merchants coming off boats. Um, I don't want to like, like just, you know, pigeonhole sailors and merchants. But back in that day, if you had a city full of sailors and merchants, then there was going to be a lot of beer sold and there was going to be a lot of sex. And it was going on all the time. This is the city that Corinth was in. Like we think Albemarle's bad. Like this is not Corinth, right? New York does not hold a candle to Corinth. And so Paul's writing to a church in this environment. And he's saying this, like, look, he talks about, you know, sex is the glue that holds us together. He knows all that stuff, the one flesh thing. But what he's saying is, look, this stuff in culture is starting to seep into the church. And so we got to talk about something. we got to have some way of kind of counteracting that because you don't want to become guilty of this idolatry that the culture has where sex was everything. And if I could just get sex and really good sex, then everything will be fantastic. And now how we were when we were single... God, if I could just get married, if I could just get married, I'd have sex anytime I want. Hey, married people, how's that working out? <laughs> yeah, that's not how it works, is it? It's crazy. It's crazy that you can actually get to a stage in your life where you would pick sleep over sex. Because like everybody that's 25 and younger is like, I'll never, I will never, ever, ever choose sleep over sex. Yes, you will. <laughs> yes, you will. You'll choose, you'll choose chocolate over sex at some point. It's crazy. It's crazy. So Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. I know you're in six, just saying 6. We're getting there. Like this is the longest it's ever taken you to get to the actual scripture. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, he says this. It's actually reported that there is, a, there is sexual immorality among you. 
and of a kind that does not even occur among pagans. A father, a man has his father's wife. Listen, remember last week we talked about this. The purpose of sex is intimacy and marriage, but the result of living that purpose is that we have authenticity in culture. Like if there's ever a time and a day when culture needs to hear the truth from the church about this area, it's today. But because we're not living and honoring the place of sex in marriage only, we don't have a voice. We have no authenticity. We talk and they don't listen. That verse is the perfect example. Paul's like, are you guys crazy? Like, there's stuff going on in the church that even pagans wouldn't put up with? This is the church he's writing to. This is the culture. This is the setting that he's writing to. So if there's ever a letter that we could learn from about the problem of sex, it's got to be this one. So he gives them two guardrails, two guardrails to ensure that we can steer clear of the problem of making sex an idol. Um, the first one is found in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13. Listen, here's what Paul says. We'll start in verse 12. He says, everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So um, in your Bible, everything is permissible for me and food for the stomach and stomach for the food. Those are in quotes, right? So you ever do air quotes? You ever do sarcastic air quotes? Like, like, I'm using lots of marriage examples, but that's all I got, right? So, you know, stuff like, oh, yeah, like, you, you said take out the trash, right? You know, we get all sarcastic. Like, you, you got to, like, do your butt out the whole deal. I got to get out. Well, you said, you know, that's what he's doing, right? He's, he's kind of jabbing at the culture because he lives in a culture where they're like, hey, do whatever you want. If it makes you feel good, go for it. And he's like, everything's permissible, you know? But he says, but wait, I don't want to be mastered by anything, just anything, right? And so he goes on, he says, here's the first guardrail. The very first guardrail, he says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. The first guardrail is this, our bodies belong to the Lord. Now, I'm getting ready to lay something heavy on you. Hang with me. Don't throw stuff at me, okay? Just love me anyway. Um, I'm going to just paraphrase what Paul says. Listen to what he says after that. He says, there's the guardrail. Our bodies belong to the Lord. Okay, our bodies belong to the Lord. And then he goes on and he says this, um, By his power God raised the Lord from the dead. He will raise us also. Do you not know that our bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? Listen, here's what he says. I'm just paraphrasing. Paul says, our bodies are the Lord's. And then he says this. So basically he's saying anywhere you put any part of your body, you're taking Jesus with you. Like, that's heavy. Anywhere you put any part of your body, you're taking Jesus with you. Because he says, would, would you take a member of Jesus' body and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Anywhere you put any part of your body, you're taking Jesus with you. Because your body is the Lord's. It's the first guardrail. Our bodies aren't ours. They've been bought by God with the blood of Jesus. He says later in verse 20, do you, in verse 9, do you not know that their body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? You were not your own. You were bought at a price. Verse 20, therefore honor God with your body. I mean, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, not a throne where our pleasure rests. That's huge. It's really, really important we grab that. When our lives are lived serving the master of sexual desire, then we put our bodies in places where Jesus would never want to be. 
But when we honor God with our bodies, we remember that our bodies must bow to His Lordship and not the other way around. We'll think more about what He would want for us than what we want for ourselves. Um, when I was in college, I'm probably sharing way too much about my past with you, and I'm sorry if I am, but there's plenty of churches for you to pick from. Um, when I was in college, when I was in college, I, um, I did not do well in this area. I didn't. I mean, I, I told you last week, I, you know, I got married. I was a virgin technically because um, I never had intercourse, but I did everything else. So um, I did not honor God in this area at all. You know, it's crazy, though. Think about this. When he says, look, the body is the Lord's. Your body is the Lord's. It's funny how you're, we can be so convinced that it's a sin and yet still do it. Isn't that crazy? It's because we, we put, when, when sex is our idol, what happens is we know that you should never be sexually immoral. But God and I have a deal worked out because he knows my heart. He knows I, I just struggle. I just struggle with boobies. I just struggle. It's a struggle. I have a deal worked out. It's too real for you. I'm sorry. Let's move on. <laughs> Got milk. It does body good. All right. I had to say it. I had to say it. I'm sorry. I had to say it. We're moving on. We're moving on. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I just, no filter. Where's Wendy? I need Wendy. I need a filter. Ah. Let's move on. <laughs> oh. Let's pray. <laughs> Kidding. Um, oh, man. So let me just talk to the singles in the room. Oh, first of all, let me say I'm sorry. Let me apologize to you for the way churches talk to singles. Because we talk to singles like it's a disease, don't we? What's up with that? It's like, oh, you're single? Are you on medication? Is it a rash? Sorry. Single. It's crazy, isn't it? Because what you'll find is, especially um, in 1 Corinthians 7, we're going to turn it just, just a second, you'll find that Paul actually says that if you could choose to be single or be married, Paul, like the guy that wrote the Bible, says, be single. You can do more for Jesus. Be single. It's okay. It's like it's not, it's not a curse. He says it's a gift. It's crazy. Jesus was single. <laughs> Who's walking up to Jesus going, just can't find her? <laughs> maybe if you stop wearing the dress, maybe that would help, right? Who's doing that? It's crazy. Singleness is not a curse. It's not a curse, but I, I'll tell you this. I can, remember, I can remember believing with all my heart. Man, okay, as a single person, I, okay, God, I need to honor you. I need to honor you with my body. I, it's, it's, I'm not doing a good job. I know I'm supposed to. But, but at least someday the struggle's going to be over. At least someday I'm going to meet her. And I'm going to get married. And by God, we're having sex anytime I want. And then I got married. And by God, that didn't happen. <laughs> I mean, not because not she's a horrible wife. Just, it's just not real life, isn't it? It's crazy. So get this. Guardrail number one, your body is the Lord's. Guardrail number two, if I could just get married, I can do it any time I want to. No, 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 not so fast, right? Because guardrail number two is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I love this. I love how Paul paints this. He says in verse 3, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. I hate that he calls it marital duty, but whatever. And likewise, the wife to her husband. 
Here's the, ver- the, key, the key verse, verse 4. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. So like guardrail number one, our bodies belong to the Lord. Guardrail number two, our bodies belong to our spouse. Nowhere in there does your body belong to you. Now, you're American, so it's okay for you to hate that. Totally okay. But it's still true. It's still true. When sex is an idol, like, my body is my body. And I will do what I want to do when I want to do it with who I want to do it with. Because I am on the throne, my sexual desire. And it leads to us being selfish. But when Jesus is on the throne, when he's on the throne, it helps us to honor him by honoring our spouses in an honorable way. I mean, you know what Paul said? Paul said, like, we get married thinking, um, someday my spouse will meet my, will meet my every sexual desire. <laughs> it's fantastic. Y'all are so cute. Adorable. Um, but Paul says that when we get married, we should be serving our spouse's sexual desire. Now, you're so cute because you're just like, I can't believe he's saying all this. You're still figuring, I, he said booby. I can't believe it. Whatever. Real life, real life is at the end of a day, you're both tired. And you're both praying to God like you've never prayed before. Let them make the first move. I'm tired. I want it the way I want it, and I want to go to sleep. That's real life. And Paul says, your body's not yours. It belongs to the Lord, honor God with your body, and it belongs to your spouse, honor your spouse with your body. And he calls us to this thing that we hate called servanthood, and that's how it plays out in marriage. It's just hard to be a servant when your sex life is the idol. So what does this mean practically? We serve the Lord with our bodies, we serve our spouses with our bodies. In short, it it means that we serve instead of demanding service, right? The The idolatry of sex leads to stupid ideas like friends with benefits. I feel like I just channeled my Obama there. I feel like I did good, like friends with benefits. I feel like I did good there. What is that? If you don't know what that term means, it means this. It's this crazy idea that we've come up with as a society that says, hey, I got this great deal. Like, let's be friends and have sex and just be friends. <laughs> right. Whatever. Never going to happen. Right? Not possible. There's too many chemicals being released in that 21-second hug. Right? It's not going to happen. I mean, what's crazy is they make movies, chick flicks about this, romantic comedies about how that does not work. Because in the end, they fall in love. They're together, but they have to work through all the crazy stuff that happens when you're trying to be friends and have sex. Friends with benefits doesn't work. But see, you see what that is? That's like sex is an idol. I will serve my pleasure through you and have zero commitment. Like there could not be a more anti-gospel picture than that. Because Jesus said, I will serve you by going all in. To meet the need you have of a Savior. And we say, I will go none in, but let's have sex. It's so anti-gospel. And it's all because sex is on the throne. So, let me sum this up. Idolatry and sex 
means that sex is all about me, and it leads to selfishness. Intimacy in sex means that sex is all about us, and it leads to servanthood. And the only way to have the second is by keeping Jesus on the throne of your life. And here's why. Because you become what you worship. Have you noticed this? You will look like your idol. Um, I am a Tennessee Volunteer fan, no doubt about it. And last night they beat Georgia. They came back from behind. I didn't get to see the whole game. I just turned on at the end and saw the end of it. And I heard like they were down 21 points, came back, they won. They beat Georgia. I mean, like, I mean, even Alabama fans would agree. We hate Georgia, right? I mean, just they beat Georgia. They came back and won. You look at, it was in Neyland Stadium, so it's all orange, right? It's amazing how many people there look like their idol. They got, the, they got the face paint. They got the like People who should not expose their bodies have body paint. And they're proud of it. Yeah! You know, it's like, dude, like you're orange. You're orange. You are an orange. What are you doing, right, in public? We become like what we worship. So if we worship sex, selfish desires, we become ingrown. Your marriage will never work that way. You will never find a mate that way because nobody wants to marry that. But if Jesus is on the throne, and Matthew just put his down, Mark 10, 45, he said, I came to serve, not to be served. Philippians 2, 3 through 7, beautiful picture of how our attitude should be like Jesus. If we worship Jesus, we become like him. We become servants. Even in our marriages, we serve our spouse. In our relationships, single or married, we serve the Lord. Our bodies are for the Lord. We don't take parts of our body and put them where Jesus would never go. So here's your big idea, um, and then we're going to wrap this thing up. Y'all have been so good. You had not thrown stuff at me. Thank you so much. Um, here's your big idea. When sex becomes the only thing, we end up losing everything. When sex becomes the only thing, we end up losing everything. And that sounds religious and spiritual, but can I just tell you that right now the world knows the truth of that? The perfect example of that, two words, Ashley Madison. Some of y'all are like, who's she? She ain't nobody. She's a website. It's a website where people can go and they can sign up anonymously, anonymously, so they can be hooked up with other people who also want to cheat on their spouses. And so people can have, adult, they can, they can have adulterous affairs anonymously through a website called Ashley Madison. Only problem is, a couple months ago, Ashley Madison's website got hacked. And I think that's fantastic. <laughs> like, I, I'm just going to be honest. I had no, like, I didn't even feel bad about it. I was just like, that is sweet. Like, some people got together and hacked the website and published all the emails associated with Ashley Madison. You know what's crazy? What's crazy is when sex is your idol, you'll do anything you can to get that. But when that is exposed, you'll do anything you can to hide that that was there. It's crazy, isn't it? Like, look, dude, if you're going to cheat on your wife, be proud of it. Oh, don't, don't let it. Don't ever find out. Why are you so worried about it? Be proud of it, right? You're worried about it because it's wrong. So all these people get exposed. Because all these people, they, they found out the truth of that statement. When sex becomes the only thing, we end up losing everything. You know, the, now the saddest stories coming out of the Ashton Madison hack are the people who are killing themselves right now because they've been exposed. And that is sad. The ba- there's a pastor, um, there's a pastor in, on, in the, the middle of the country took his own life because he was exposed. 
through the Ashley Madison hack. That's sad. I'm not, I'm not mocking that. That's sad. I know there's two recorded suicides because their names were exposed through that hack. Sex was the only thing. And they ended up losing everything. And that's the problem with making sex an idol. And we do it. I know most of you are like, I would never, I would never do, I would never do that. Yeah, yeah but what are you doing? It's a heavy way to end it, right? Maybe it's a good way to call you to prayer, but what are you doing? I would never have an affair. I would never join Ashley Madison. Yeah, but like, what are you looking at? Well, yeah, but that, those are just images on the computer. No, they're not, because like Jesus said, if you think about a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. So you're so proud that you're only looking at a computer, but Jesus says you're having an affair. See, when sex is the idol, it's all about me. But when I take that off the throne and put Jesus back, then it becomes all about him. That's so critical. So critical. So the only solution for that, the idolatry of sex, is, is quite honestly just throw a coup, get our sexual desires off the throne, and put Jesus back on. And to know that these two guardrails are here for our, they're for our benefit, right? So like, if you're single and you're just like, I can't wait till I get married, I'm going to meet that, I want to meet that person so I can, I just, I'm tired of waiting, I want to have sex. Nothing wrong with feeling that way for a second. But at some point, you got to go, oh, oh I, think that, I think I might be bumping up against the guardrail, right? Because my body's not mine, it's God's. Then you get married. You go home. Hey, baby, you look good. Mm? Oh, you look fine. You cooked that meal tonight. It was perfect. I got some roses. The only problem is everything sounds good, but I know in my heart, I've just done all of that to manipulate and get my way when the door closes in the bedroom. Wait, wait, there's a guardrail, isn't there? Like my body's not mine, it belongs to my spouse. See how, I, mean, I love how God's put these guardrails here just, just to remind us. Man, whoa, 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 you're going in bad places. You need to recalculate, right? Readjust, go in a different direction. We just got to pray. There's no um, good altar call here, so just got to close your eyes. I want to give you some, a chance um, just to think about what we talked about. We're going to pray. You're going to head out. You have been so patient. You'll never let me preach again without Wendy in the room. I can guarantee you that. You're like, Wendy, you're sitting on the front row. You have to be here every time. Just for a moment, would you just, um, just take time with you and the Lord? We're not going to draw this out at all. I just want to give you the chance to... Just repent if you need to. Um, maybe just kind of readjust a little bit because of the guardrails. Maybe what we talked about this morning, um, not in a shameful way because there's no shame in Christ, but just in, a, in that corrective way where you just kind of, you bumped up against that guardrail. Ooh, uh, uh, yeah, I need, to, I need to change some stuff. Just a good time right now just to do that. Just you and the Lord. And I'm just going to close this in prayer. If you're here and you've never... You've never made Jesus Lord of your life. Then that's the biggest thing we need to deal with. Is it's just you just got the wrong person on the throne. Forget sex and whatever other sin. You just got the wrong person on the throne of your life. 
I'm just going to ask you to change that. To put Jesus on the throne of your life. Let him call the shots in every area of your life, not just in your sex life. Lord, I pray for all of us in the room. So many of us, God, um, we, we just kind of feel that sting of, of things we've done wrong, bad choices. I pray more than anything, God, that we would feel this connection with you right now, that your grace would just begin to wash us new. I, I'm so thankful for a place like the gathering where we can talk about this stuff and laugh about it, God. And in the end, our hearts are simply to honor you with our sexuality. So many of us, we would never actually fashion idols and hang them, put them up in our, in our homes. But God, man, we've made an idol out of this. So we just ask you for forgiveness. And we want to put Jesus back on the throne in this area of our lives. What I want is never going to be more important than what you want through me. So we just take our sexual desires and we just lay them at the foot of the cross. And we thank you, God for loving us enough to put guardrails in our lives to warn us and correct us to get back on the path that you have for us. We want to keep this amazing gift of sexuality in the most secure place possible. And that's in a marriage that honors you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.